Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What other time do you have in your life to be able to consider doing it except for right now? You can think about it. You can put it on the back burner, but that increases the risk that you'll never do it again. And in fact, it actually increases the risk you develop a habit of putting things on the back burner. And therefore, it's much easier the next time around to be saying, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. So if you change that habit, and it's usually from something that is an opportunity such as travel or trauma or some loss where you re-examine your life and say, hey, I'm going to do things differently, think differently, and focus on the present, you do it now. Dabble in it very quickly. Better to do a little bit than none at all. And to see how it makes you feel and then try again. And then therefore you have a habit of doing a little bit rather than nothing at all. That was Dr. Calvin Sun. Clip from today's interview. He's the founder of Monsoon Diaries, a blog turned travel community that has taken hundreds of readers to 190 plus countries over the past decade and has since been featured on BBC News, National Geographic and USA Today. And in addition to his travels, Calvin is a medical doctor who worked in seven ERs across four of the five New York City boroughs during COVID. He touches on that experience in his new travel memoir, The Monsoon Diaries, A Doctor's Journey of Hope and Healing from the ER Front Lines to the Far Reaches of the World. And today, we discuss the book and cover a lot of grounds around travel and a ton of other topics. We talk about the importance of running towards discomfort, why everything is chaos, and why we should embrace that and what we can do with the chaos and what that can do for us. He gets into how he grew his travel tour company just by being his authentic self, which is a great way to grow an organization, in my opinion. How boredom can lead to your next big thing, your next creative breakthroughs. He covers some of his favorite destinations, the most fun, his most magical destination recommendations, most serendipitous, and where you should go if you want to be reminded that the world is much bigger than we think it is. He talks about how he kickstarted his life of travel with a lost bet and a $600 flight to Egypt. So you'll hear that story and just a ton more. I don't want to include too many spoiler alerts here, but it's a great chat and gave me a lot to think about coming out of it. I hope it does the same for you. On top of that, I'll share with you a couple of nonprofit organizations I just discovered that can help you become a better traveler, can help all of us do that. I'll answer a listener question about working remotely without a university degree. 
and leave you with a nice quote to wrap it all up that I think ties this show together well at the end. All of that and much more, it's happening right now. So buckle up, make sure your tray table is stored away. Your seat isn't reclined. Now, go ahead and recline your seat. That's fine. I want you to relax today and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up there? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Man, our guest today, I mean, he's the definition of that, I think. The guy has been packing his life (laughs) with travel experiences. He's traveled to over 200 countries and territories in the past 12 years. Of course, he's built this blog-turned-travel community, and now he's got this new book and all the other stuff going on. I had to ask him in the beginning there, you know, how do you get all these things done? How do you become a medical doctor and travel to all these countries and do all these things? You might be surprised at the answer he gives and the other topics we touch on I mentioned at the top. And my ears definitely perk up when I get some destination recommendations from somebody who has been to so many places and taken other people to places so they get to see their reactions as well. So that adds another layer of experience outside of your own personal experience. How do some of the people around you react to a place? So that was fun to hear some of his destinations and some of the off the beaten path places he recommended that could substitute for some more popular places and some cool stuff. So you'll hear some destination talk on top of some personal travel stories and... I guess some overarching philosophies around how to incorporate travel into your life and make the most out of life, really, live our best lives. A lot to unpack here. And before we get into it, just a reminder, if you haven't gotten in touch, you can always do so. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. I also have a handy link in the show notes where you can leave a voicemail. And if you haven't done so yet, please go over to ZeroToTravel.com and sign up for the newsletter. Getting back into sending out the weekly newsletters, my friends. And there you can stay updated on all the things going on off the podcast as well. And don't forget to stick around after the interview. I'm going to share a couple new resources I have discovered just last week. These are nonprofit organizations designed to help us all become better travelers. Uh, I'm diving in and I just want to share those with you. Plus, I'll answer a listener question on working remotely without a degree from higher education. Stick around for all that and I'll leave you with a quote as well to wrap up the show. Now, please enjoy listening in on this conversation I had with Dr. Calvin's son. Thanks again for being here, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Dr. Calvin's son, how are you today, man? Good, Mr. Jason Moore. (laughs) <laughs> it's inevitable that with your travel resume with mine, we're eventually going to have to meet somewhere with travels <laughs> or on a podcast. I'm so glad we we're doing it now. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. And uh, yeah, well, I wish we could have like serendipitously met 
on the street somewhere, somewhere. But the, you know, this will have to do now. A random bar yeah. somewhere around the world. Yeah, that was hey, it's funny. it's still possible. Maybe. You never know. It's still possible. We've had plenty of those stories to know that. <laughs> I have a lot of questions because that's what I do. But I wanted to ask you what your favorite classic cocktail is. I know it's a weird way to start an interview, but you used to teach mixology. Yeah, I was going to ask you to make or to drink. Both, because actually, well, I took like a mixology class a while back when I worked for a, a liquor distributor. So I had to learn some of this stuff. Then I forgot it all. But most recently, I just bought, you know, the tin and the strainer and the whole thing. And I was going to get back into it. So, you know, just because sometimes it's nice to just have a simple, simple margarita recipe. You know, it's a Saturday. Make a simple, simple margarita or... I really like uh, not the old fashioned, but like a whiskey sour, any of those whiskey drinks. So, yeah, man, I, I wanted to hear what's your favorite classic cocktail to make and to consume. To make would be, it depends on the customer, but if they're all game for anything, it would be primarily if they had a childhood where they had peanut butter jelly sandwiches, it would be the PB and J, and that is a drink that tastes exactly like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And if they're feeling nostalgic at the bar, they want a childhood memory, I can make that for you in like two minutes. It's very easy. What is, what is that? It's a vodka for the grain, bready kind of part of the PB&J. And then you add amaretto and frangelico. So the almond and the amaretto and the hazelnut and the frangelico, you combine it. It tastes like peanut butter. And then you get chambord. And yeah, and a little splash of cranberry juice. And Chambord's a raspberry liqueur plus the cranberry. You get the jelly. So three quarters of each. You shake it. Preferably, my preference is a Manhattan shaker. Uh, sorry, no, the Boston shake, the one with the glass. Uh, so you have more to serve. And then uh, strain it. And then you pour new ice in it. And it tastes exactly like a PB&J. Now, does that come with a side of milk? Because I like milk with my peanut butter and jelly so sandwiches. <laughs> you can if you want, but it might curdle with the vodka. So <laughs> unless you want, unless you don't like your customer, you would stay away from any cream stuff. Now that it's funny you asked that because the second my my second favorite drink to make uh, evolves milk, and that tastes like exactly like a mint chocolate chip cookie, so or mint chocolate chip ice cream. And that's a standard grasshopper, but it's the proportions that count. It's one part each. Uh, very carefully with, you know, if they love the ice cream, heavy cream, but you can go down on it like half and half or, you know, 1%, 2%. And then, but preferably heavy cream because it mixes well when you add on green uh, creme de menthe liqueur. Make sure it's green so it doesn't look weird. And, uh, you know, any of your har other hard liquors um, of choice doesn't okay. curl. All right. So let's, let's, reframe the the consume question because you've been to 190 plus countries and territories something like that you you're in the mood for a cocktail and you can teleport yourself star trek style any place in the world and have any cocktail that you want there where are you going and what are you drinking i would definitely get whiskey anything with whiskey and i think internationally putting whiskey with their local tea is a great mix. Yeah. Do you have like yes. a, a place in mind in your head, like a city or? Uh, if you are in some parts of Asia, green uh, whiskey and green tea is actually like standard table service uh, mixers that you get 
you get a bottle of whiskey, they'll instead of giving the standard orange juice and cranberry juice, they put green tea in it. And the proportion that you mix, it goes really well together. And that inspired me to do that similarly in other parts around the world outside of Asia. You take the local tea and you combine that with whiskey. It's a very good concoction and you get to taste, I guess, the local country. I mean, what is tea if not eating, like literally tasting the location, the plants, the trees distilled into leaves that you drink as a tea, combine that with whiskey because why not? And you get an idea of the country that's unique to it. Yeah. This isn't a, a, a podcast about cocktails, of course, but I I was diving into some of the things that you've done and then I went really far back because you were doing this bartending stuff in like back in 2004 to 08. And then at some point you were a host and a VJ and a dancer for MTV. Is that yeah, right? That was things in college. <laughs> okay. And yeah. you, now you have monsoon diaries and you, and you run the trips and then you're a doctor. Like how do you do all these things? <laughs> I get bored really easily. That's the that's it. I get bored really easily, and that's the key to. to you you don't half-ass anything if you're interested in it, uh, and uh, you really have to uh, be open to committing to the present. So anything that comes your way, if it fancies you, what other time do you have in your life to be able to consider doing it, except for right now? You can think about it. You can put it on the back burner, but that increases the risk that you'll never do it again. And in fact, it actually increases the risk you develop a habit of putting things on the back burner. And therefore, it's much easier the next time around to be saying, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. So if you change that habit, and it's usually from something that is an opportunity such as travel or trauma or some loss where you re-examine your life and say, hey, I'm going to do things differently, think differently and focus on the present, you do it now. Dabble in it very quickly. Better to do a little bit than none at all and to see how it makes you feel and then try again. And then therefore you have a habit of doing a little bit rather than nothing at all. I, I kind of like compare that to like eating. If you're really hungry and starving, you can wait out for a steak, filet mignon, prefix, prefi, you know, Michelin star meal that you'll never have and then starve or have a ha just have a little bit of the buffet of a little bit of everything. So you know what kind of things you want. So you know what to go back to when you do have the money and resources and time to have the Michelin pre-fee dinner. Hmm. Yeah. Especially I when you're young. Yeah. Uh, well, this kind of ties in with a quote. I think I read it on your website where you said there was never so much a plan than a conscious practice to invest in the eternity of the present moment. I mean, it's something you've, you've written about. So it sounds like a pretty core philosophy to the way you live your life. I mean, a core value, like, would you say it's one of your core values and what, what are some of your other core values? So committing to the present is definitely one of them. The other one is sleep as much as you can. Okay. <laughs> that, that is counterintuitive. A lot of people think I get no sleep because I do so much, but I love my sleep and there are group chats. Uh, I just came back from Farrah, uh, leading a trip in the Farrah islands yesterday. And that was uh, nine strangers. And it's pretty funny. People are like, should I wake, wake up Calvin because we have an early day tomorrow? And then there are people who have traveled with me and they commented, don't wake Calvin. He loves to sleep. Because once I wake up, I'm so charged and ready to hit the ground running that we can do so much in a short amount of time. I'm present. I'm there. I'm not trying to keep up. 
And to a lot of people, that doesn't quite make sense because there's only so much time in a day. But I really believe in quality and efficiency. And having been born and raised in New York, I, I prize that even more. I, I mean, it's it's that kind of lifestyle. So how do I have your cake and eat it too without hurting anyone? And that's essentially doing investing as much as you're in the present moment because the best thing you can do for the future is invest right now. Uh, and you have to make it a habit. And if, because if you don't, if you're not feeling it and it's not a habit, you're not going to do it. So you're out late at night. You have one of those great drinks. I made you a PB and J. You want more. You get a grasshopper. You drink and drink and drink. And then you had a great night. You cut or you have that whiskey and tea in the foreign country and you go home late at night. And the last thing you want to do is brush your teeth. In fact, you just want to hit the bed and not change your clothes and everything. Just not do any of that stuff. But you do it anyway because of that habit. And it will eventually add up. And you are grateful that you have those habits, no matter how hard it is to not want to brush your teeth. Some of us still do it. And you will look back and say, you know what, even though I felt at the time that two extra minutes I spent brushing my teeth when I just could have hit the bed earlier, that was worth it because all those things added up to making a habit that I still have my teeth. Or I, you know, I, I'm not sleeping in my clothes and you know, I can actually have a good quality sleep. So it's nothing bigger than the little things. Yeah, I don't know how quality the sleep will be after those cocktails, but we would have, <laughs> true. have to see. You do your best. <laughs> well, you know, part of that, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, is this idea of, it sounds to me like you were saying, okay, well, if something, you know, strikes your fancy or you get some enthusiasm about something you want to explore it, you should dive in and live in the present moment and 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 get into that and build that habit. But then there's also the flip side of that, which is, hey, you know, I want to, I want to use my time carefully. And there's like sort of that cautious side, right? Where you may be mulling over, say, a business idea or, you know, maybe a trip you want to run in your case or something like that. And, you know, there's the spontaneity that can come with living in the present. And then there's sort of also the other side of the spectrum, which may be, hey, I'm, let, let me like think this through. Is this something I really want to commit to? Is this what I want to do? And then there's, of course, shades of gray all in the middle. But I'm just wondering, yeah, how do you balance that sort of philosophy with just being mindful and intentional with what you choose to spend your time on? That's a great observation because my, my follow-up would be, it really depends on who you are as a person and where you are in life. So naturally, I grew up very disciplined. Uh, I had a household that my parents really forced upon me that I had to learn not to procrastinate. And it was very rigid and structured. So that was, I believe, my natural upbringing. And what my core, what I learned as a child was my baseline. And therefore, to balance that, as you said, was to recognize that, to actually see that that was what I was already inherently good at because of my parents, which whom, to whom I'm very grateful for that, that discipline life. That once my dad died from a sudden heart attack when I was 19 and my mom got Parkinson's and I was completely on my own that like one summer of 2006, right between my sophomore and junior year of college, that was the space in which I had to be forced to look at myself and say, who are you already and who can you be? Who do you want to be? And the answer was, I have no idea. But I did know that everything relative to what I was familiar with had to be reckoned with, which, which means to be a little more spontaneous, to be more open to new things and to run towards the uncomfortable. I already had something so uncomfortable happen, the sudden loss of a parent without realizing it, 
the morning of it was fine. And then the next two hours he was gone. My mother, you know, having Parkinson's, which we saw it coming, but it was a moment where my, my father died. My mom's like, you're on your own. I got to live with my parents because I can't take care of you. And I was in between two years of college, sophomore and junior. I was like, do I even have the money to pay for the rest of college? And I had to figure that out. And that's when I realized life is chaotic inherently. You can do everything right and it'll all just come collapsing on you. So rather than running away from it or trying to put out fires or creating all these contraptions around your life to keep it stable, when the universe bigger beyond yourself, it says, ha, forget about it. You, you can do everything right and I will still ruin everything, natural disasters or life in general, people not Pandemics, living as long as whatever. Pandemics. You might as well just run towards the fire. I'd rather go in headstrong and embrace the flames rather than trying to run away from it. And knowing that I'm so disciplined, I was I was raised so disciplined, I decided to embrace not becoming a doctor and not doing what my parents wanted me to do and also embracing spontaneity and, you know, whatever came my way. And then, it, I mean, it just took me 10 years to be really comfortable with it because at the end of the day, your baseline will always bring you back like a rubber band to being very planned out and everything. So the opposite, if you were very spontaneous and you had, you know, an upbringing that allowed you to be more outgoing and you know, go with the flow and more comfortable than uncomfortable, then the uh, alternative advice for you is to see what you could be working on and adding a plan to it or being more intentional because your baseline to being spontaneous will pull you in that direction. So it depends on where you are. Uh, obviously, I didn't know this at the time. This is something I look, I realized looking back. It wasn't like that summer 2006, I completely psychoanalyzed my life. I was like, this is what I need. It was just a natural response to chaos was to be more chaotic intentional chaos yeah i'm sure it was a process i mean have your have your world change like that overnight is yeah what can you say about it it's hard to run towards the uncomfortable as you said it isn't it sometimes a lot of times most times maybe that's what makes it uncomfortable then that that's what makes things worth it if it's hard if you had everything easy in your life or you got an easy A in a class, you're not going to remember that subject. You're going to remember the subject that you toiled because you believed in yourself or you believed in doing well in it. And you felt like you earned that passing grade after all that hard work. That subject material will stick with you much longer because it's that it's that emotional impression. So it's funny that we are on a podcast talking about travel and I love, we both love traveling, but would you be shocked to know that I hated the idea of traveling as a born and raised New Yorker until four years after my dad died, two years after college, that I didn't want to be a doctor after my dad died because I thought that was something he wanted, not what I wanted. And there are the two things that I love and I'm so grateful now because of me trusting that I really didn't know anything, everything at the time. I thought I knew myself at the age of 23, but there was part of me that said, do you really? Like you're just starting, you're starting to live on your own without the influence of a guardian, like a mother or father. So by embracing, I was in that space where I was like, you know what, let me just say, I'm okay with embracing chaos. I, my baseline is structured. I know that I will have an idea of how to take care of myself when it hits the fan. So why not dabble at the, the I'm never going to be as young as I am today to take a risk. So I was bartending one day, I lost a bet. And that what that's what led me to Egypt 36 hours later with a girl I had just met at the bar. And then from that, I took a next bet. I was like, I don't know if I'm meant to be a doctor, 
because what if I'm saying no because of my dad? Then my dad controls me for the rest of my life. But right. even by going against it, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. Even by going against it, it's it's because of him. But if I do do it, then it's because of him. Then what's the one who's the right one? How do I know it's really coming from me? It's a double-edged sword. It's the poison cup scene from Princess Bride. But what do you do? You just have to go with it. And then the next that Egypt story was what inspired me to make the bet to apply to every single med school that I am be willing to go to with my really bad GPA. And because after my dad died that summer, I just, my grades plummeted and my, my scores were terrible. I was in no business of going to med school. And even my advisors were just like, you know, this is a waste of money. But I said, how do I know unless I try? So I can, you know, get rejected everywhere, check that box off and know that I'm not meant to become a doctor. And then lo and behold, that honesty is what got me into one school. And I just kept doing it until I felt like I could hit a wall. I would never quit. I would just keep doing it until I failed out. And same thing with travel. I kept traveling during that time. And I was like, well, if I fail on med school, then I know that I'm meant to do travel. If I lose the desire to travel, then I know I'm meant to be a doctor. But neither happened. They actually helped each other out. If it weren't for med school, I wouldn't have the fire under my ass to keep myself traveling. And if I didn't travel, I probably would have burnt out and dropped out of med school eventually. Well, it sounds counterintuitive that that they would feed into each other because I think the perception of medical school is that it's all encompassing. You can't do anything else besides be in medical school because there's no yeah, time. That's, there's that's no extra brain power. And yet you were not only doing it, but also building a company, it sounds like at the time, and taking other people on trips and things like that. That was happening simultaneously, right? Yeah, the company was creating itself. I, I compare it to like Forrest Gump. Jenny dumps him for the third or fourth time, and he decides to run around the country with no plan, no idea if it's going to do anything. And he, but he commits to the present. He commits that all he knows that is that running is what helps him. He doesn't even probably even conscious about that. He just does it because he feels like it without any thought. And then after a few years, he turns around. There are other people running with him, even when they know he has no idea why he's running. And more people join and more people join. And since I was blogging live about traveling while a full-time med student, it's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know if this is a smart idea. I'm not even doing well in med school and I'm still doing it because that's the only thing that keeps me sane. So don't get me wrong. I, I, I wasn't doing well either. I was just getting by in med school and traveling. I knew they needed each other. I just yeah. couldn't explain it. I turned hmm. around and this For company you. built itself. Yeah, I was being me. And then turn around and there are hundreds and hundreds of people who come on my trips now. Uh, they bring themselves, they bring their friends. At the beginning, I was like, go away. You're, I really don't need the distraction. I need to focus on myself. But I think the more I told them to leave, the more people joined because they knew that they were signing up for something authentic and someone that didn't want to make a travel company rather than some run-of-the-mill travel company that makes money. Isn't it funny how those things happen? You hear those stories, you see them, I think, uh, occasionally, like it's almost, I don't know if it's it's rare, but at least it warms my heart when I hear companies being built like that where it's like sort of the accidental founder kind of thing right like hey i was just really you know off being my authentic self and it just so happened that there were other people that felt the same and, and wanted to be a part of this thing which is it's uh, the it's, irony it just boggles my mind but makes you as you said it warms your heart and makes me believe in the process there are this whole universe out there we get that we're traveling and we know it's beyond our like current receptors and our current ability of our brain to fully put into language, but we feel it. 
And it makes us trust in the big unknown where everyone else wants stability. We throw ourselves into the oblivion of travel and not knowing things, not knowing things as much and actually relishing it without being able to put a, a language to it, not yet at least. And it only brings its dividends and that makes us trust the process even more. And I think this is part of that. Like the fact that people wanted to come on my trips when I was a first year, second year med student, I'd literally complain. I was like, I didn't ask you to come here when they were like, you're walking too fast. I don't feel comfortable. And I was like, they'll tell you straight up. Like Calvin was so mean. He was just like, oh, I didn't ask you to be here. I travel alone and you just wanted to come. And I said, yes. But now you have no right to complain. I mean, I'm much nicer now. I mean, a lot of 10 to 14 years of actually appreciating now that people are there with me to hold my camera to, you know, happiness is best shared to have these conversations with. But at the beginning, I was so just, just not sure, like Forrest Gump, like, I don't know what you're doing here. But I think because people felt that and they're like, oh, he's not really making, he's not looking to make money. He just is doing this for himself. And he just so happens to say yes to having us come along. I have other travel blogger friends who say like, how do you do it? Like, I, I don't see, I, even like last year was a trip. It's like, I don't see how you do it, man. We're trying to like coordinate everyone to go home from this party. And we were in French Polynesia. And I was like, I actually enjoy it. I like to see everyone, this chaos, as we said, the controlled intentional chaos. And to see all this madness happening when you're in a foreign country that you've never been to before with all these people and all these variables and have it all come together at the very end and making it worth, that's what makes it worthwhile. All that brushing your teeth, all that discipline and figuring things out and controlling that chaos. And also one of the reasons why of all the doctor specialties I chose, it would be emergency medicine, all that chaos, taking it in and then trying to control it. Even when you can't control it, you make something out of it so that it keeps leading to the next step and the next step. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by US Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the US Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. 
so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. As two separate things, you think about travel and being a doctor in an ER, I, I don't necessarily on the surface relate those two things. But from everything you just said, intentional chaos being uh, two words that kind of sums it up best, right? It, it kind of makes a lot of sense that you thrive in each of those environments as an individual. Yeah. And think about it, it. The chaos is onto yourself. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not like trying to create chaos for other people. No, right. You bring chaos, yeah, intentional chaos for yourself. So I don't want people listening to this, get the wrong idea. It's like, oh, he's just, you know, peeing on the carpet. <laughs> Yeah, no, carpet, I think it's just here. The your what you're saying, the, the external situation is inherently chaos in many ways. You know, you, you yes. travel, you go to a place, you you know, it's unfamiliar. In the ER, you have no idea what's going to come in, what's going to happen. You're, you're stepping into an environment where that is maybe the environment's core value in some ways. Is that There's an element of chaos. You're not saying, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You're not... You're not somebody who's out to cause chaos and anarchy. <laughs> right, right, right. And the irony is that if you invite the chaos within, you're actually, the irony is that you're actually in control. You're the one that's turning on and off the water faucet in the floodgates. You're not just waiting around and like, oh, what's going on? And that's too chaotic. That, that, that means you have too much on your plate and you should start prioritizing, you know, cleaning up your room and figuring out what works for you and what isn't. But when you're turning on and off the floodgates, you're in control, actually of the chaos. And that actually makes you more likely to be able to handle difficult things when they come out of the blue, because you're already comfortable with controlling that chaos. Uh, and I, and to connect the ER doctor and the travel thing, kind of like what you said, the bartending is like a good connector. If it weren't for bartending, I don't know if I was able to, if I would develop the brain receptors to connect the both of them, but bartending, you don't know what's going to happen. You sign up for it and you don't know who's going to walk through that door and you can have a fun party, a, no party or a bunch of belligerents that you're going to have to fight or call security or throw shot glasses at or whatever, what bar, or it's, it'll be a nightclub and you're pouring shots like crazy, or maybe it's a cocktail bar. You don't know what kind of people you're going to get, but you sign up for it because you know, no matter what, it's either going to be a good night or a good story. What's travel. You're going to a place where you're inviting chaos in your life. You're not doing anything to the environment. You're going in receiving. And the worst thing that can happen is a good trip or a good story. In an emergency room, you're behind a bar of computers. You don't know who's going to come in. It's kind of like bartending. You got to actually serve the same patient population as you were in the bar. I would work at a bar shift, and then I would send some pay customers, patronizing customers, to an ER that I would be in a shift a couple hours later. And I'd be like, hey, John, what are you doing here? Good to see you again. And know exactly what the history was. He's like, oh, I know what how much drinks he had. <laughs> I was there. Uh, but you don't get the same patient population and the same movement. You got to move as fast as possible, but not too quickly because everyone wants to have their fair share of attention and a good drink. We may have, can't move too slowly because then there's so many other people waiting for your attention. That's what connects the two. So inviting that in and being on the receiving, being comfortable with that, I think it all connects. I think it's a good, just having this discussion, I think is a really good reminder that 
chaos rules and if there is something that has been holding you back on traveling and things like that like it's not like you stay home and the chaos doesn't exist right i think that's like sometimes the the thing that gets overlooked it's like well if i go out into the world and and travel the world like it's like it's all unpredictable and everything but like you said your summer got flipped upside down overnight with the death of a parent and, and everything that happened to you you know things happen at home too yeah and i think that that chaos that we're, you're describing here, it, it spans everything all the time, right? Like you could do like, everything right and pandemics will happen. And then when it does, you're like, oh man, I should have traveled. We've <laughs> <laughs> like, had the world lockdown for two years. I should have invited chaos in my life before this chaos happened in a home. <laughs> I did want to say, you know, you were one of the many on the front lines during COVID. Of course, uh, the book, The Monsoon Diaries, a doctor's journey of hope and healing from the ER front lines to the far reaches of the world. Thank you for that. No small thing to face that every day, I'm sure. Did want to hear a bit about your experience during that time. Obviously, you know, something you love travel that's okay, well, that's taken away, but now you're also serving this greater purpose, you know, fighting this daily battle with the pandemic. And, you know, something you said earlier was, stopping and re-examining your life. So I, I thought maybe we could start there because that I think that's an, an ongoing process, right? Like you kind of mentioned the time when you were in your early 20s and thinking about these things. But I, I find at least that this is like, that's like sort of re-examining my life, kind of deciding how I've changed and where I might want to go is, is kind of like an ongoing process, right? I'm just wondering how the experience uh, throughout the pandemic and everything that you experienced there, how how that has maybe or maybe has not made you re-examine things. No, oh, thanks for all that. I mean, it, it was weird to hear all that uh, someone else, but you know, now that everything's calming down, and I'm now talking about a book that's coming out about what I experienced. But I want the listener to know that this book is not about COVID, and it's more about what I learned in your, your question is that COVID is just one of many, many different things that has happened in our lives that either we can choose to see it as, oh, it has happened to me. It wasn't my fault. I want to put it uh, past me and just move on or use it as an opportunity. like, how can I now see this as an opportunity to re-examine my life with more clarity and purpose in a way that if it weren't for this to happen, I would have just been on stasis pattern of just the same old routine uh, without any change until the next pandemic and the next pandemic. And then by then it might be too late. So when I speak about travel and my father's passing, a lot of people may not have had a loved one lost yet. Some people have not traveled, but COVID is something that happened to all of us. And this book is, yes, it, it talks about COVID and my experiences, but it uses COVID more as a vehicle for the main point of it, which is that life is a constant change. And when things happen, when these events happen, we can either choose to say, oh, it's going to stay with me for the rest of my life and nothing will change because that's a, a terrible, tragic memory. But what I realized during the whole process of writing the book and what happened during COVID and, and what I learned was my attitudes towards that very same unchanged, discrete event was changing. My attitudes changed. I was growing and reflecting every time I revisited something that I thought was never going to leave my life. As that was changing, that's how I defined your personality and who you are as a person. 
You know, how do you, how does your attitudes change to one thing that will never change in your life? And what better way than to be as present as possible for this roller coaster of this ups and downs? Like you don't need to know how many loops there are. You don't need to know if you go up or you're down, or you're upside down five times. Just enjoy the roller coaster, whether it's up or down, or the, the the apprehension of going uphill, the joy of going downhill, the queasiness of going sideways. It, it just be present. You don't need to know what's ahead of you, or, or you just know that it has happened, and your attitudes and towards that very same thing can evolve over time. And I use COVID as a way for everyone to relate to because that's something that happened to all of us. But it's really more about the travels and my father's death that prepared me for that experience of COVID and addresses to how I was able to overcome it, not in spite of COVID, but because of COVID, I'm able to overcome more difficult challenges ahead of my life. Mm. What was the most challenging aspect of that time period for you as an individual? So the inability to travel and to not be able to recharge and the possibility of death and seeing all your loved ones and colleagues get sick and some die. All of that is equal. Uh, I started with the travel thing because this is a travel podcast and it's important. It's not, I don't want to be glib about, like, oh, I couldn't travel. That's why COVID was hard. It's more that when I was working in the ER before COVID or during residency, during med school, as we had addressed earlier in the podcast, travel was my healing. That was the way I could recharge. Not everyone can heal by talking about it or writing about it. Some people will recharge through meditation or yoga or working out, or it's a combination of all of them. Sleep. I do all those things, but travel is a big component of it. And when COVID happened, I showed up, but I didn't have what I needed to recharge. I was running on battery acid because I knew that it would be unethical and unwise to travel during the middle of a pandemic. I literally flew in March 7th from a trip in Angola, a bunch of people, knowing that I'm not going to have this ever again because my first patient in COVID was March 8th. And I didn't travel all the way up until international until I think the year after, or at least almost until the winter uh, when things started to calm down. But during that time, I didn't know when I was going to travel again. And that was also a big hit in that I knew that I wouldn't have access to things that would recharge me. So I would just keep going into work over and over and over and working more than I expected to. So even more reason to travel more because when I work more, I need to travel more to balance that. We talked about balance and I knew I didn't have access to that anymore. So that was really hard to know that uh, I had no idea when I was going to have another chance to get back on my feet. And I thought it was just, just going on this negative feedback cycle until I was going to hit this, this bottom that I'm, I haven't seen before. And I knew that was the same for a lot of my colleagues who didn't have access to things that did recharge them, which was in-person or social activities, uh, going to gyms, everything was shut down. So a lot of my colleagues on the front lines also were suffering without an outlet. And, know, and not knowing when it was going to be open again. So this unknown, this oblivion was really difficult. And then two to three weeks in, the re- very fear of knowing that you could die from this because this wasn't going away. We, was, we were hoping that after two to three weeks, it would just calm down and just disappear like prior epidemic scares. But two to three weeks in, we now we're seeing patients that were dying. And it was like, could this be us in two to three weeks? And then a month in, that next fear, the fourth thing I listed was people were actually dying next to us 
my colleagues, my grandfather, you know, people who were close to us. Um, yeah, it's, it was just unforgiving. And then two months went by and everything was still locked down and not being able to travel and not being able to recharge or do the things I love to do and working more than I expected to uh, is even more unforgiving. Not that saying that, oh, I wish I could travel. It's that, oh, I wish that this could just end and I could see the end, but you don't know. As we said, the roller coaster of life, you have to get very comfortable even with not knowing what the end would look like. Yeah, it must have been in some ways as an individual, like a pretty strong test on some of your core philosophies, right? Yeah, it was as if God or some universe is like, I see what usually works for you. Well, let me try this. <laughs> Go do medicine without your any of your things that bring you balance and see if you could still embrace and love medicine the way you thought you would. You thought this was sustainable? Try this. And the pandemic happens to all of us. It kind of brings me back to when my dad died. Everything, oh, you're you're in school, you have a roof over your head, you're getting education. Mom and dad loves you in their way, maybe not emotionally, but you know, educationally. Everything's going well for you. Let's try this. Bye, dad. Bye, mom. And then it it was a feeling that I wasn't alien to. And and I think a lifetime of traveling, of always running, choosing towards uncomfortable feelings. It allowed me to better reconcile the difficulty that COVID brought, at least in the first wave. But it doesn't say it doesn't mean that it was easy. It means that I was more comfortable with uneasy. I've heard you kind of mention a couple times. Let's call it the mysteries of the universe, right? And said, so who knows what our receptors are picking up and things like that, which is a very. Uh, sounds like a very non-doctory attitude in some ways, right? You think of like somebody who's studying the biological body and, you know, it's probably the case like everything where, you know, the more you know, the less you know type of thing. But I'm just wondering for you and your own process, running into uncomfortable situations or, you know, decision-making, living life, whatever, how how that functions for you, right? Like you, you take the sort of the hard science and you got the the biology, Right. And and then you have this mysterious sort of unknown, which some people just kind of discount and don't believe it's anything. And others think it's like it's this infinite thing that you can tap into. And, you know, there's all kinds of beliefs around it. I'm just curious for you where where that side of things plays in it, if at all. It's looking back in your life and connecting all the dots and you going WTF. You can't help but believe that there's something out there way beyond your comprehension of logic because of all the illogical things and unexplainable things that have happened on your travel experiences or how, at least in my case, how my life worked out. You know, the movie office space. Yeah. The guy was just classic. He didn't care. He, he just, <laughs> he was like, I'm ready to get fired. So he just acted in the what said and did thing, the things they did. He said that everyone else around him was like, this is, automatic, you're going to get fired. And he ends up getting promoted. Now that's a fictional movie, but it speaks to a truth of being your true self that ironically will bring you things that you didn't expect because of what you've been taught your whole life. And maybe that's a logical way of explaining things. But to me, there's been too many kismets and serendipities and WTF moments where I can't help but believe there's something out there, a big energy that I haven't fully been able to explain it, no matter how much I try to research it or understand it. And there are other philosophers who are way smarter than I am who are able to just 
relent and accept that there is just so much more out there that we're not able to fully appreciate, at least in, in this universe or this language. So what I mean is, you know, losing a bet over something that I didn't want to do ends up making me love that thing. Now, if I actually had listened to myself and not listened to anyone else, I wouldn't be here right now. And I probably would be someone that's rebelling against my dad for the rest of my life as a bartender, just sticking it to the man, but not really thinking for myself, but rather thinking for other people. Uh, I wouldn't be traveling right now because at the time, logically, as a born and raised New Yorker, I was like, the world comes to me. What's the point of traveling? New York is so diverse and it's the most diverse city in the world. It's so much energy. If I want to go to Korea, I just go to K-Town. If I want to go to China, I go to Chinatown. If I want to go to Russia, I go to little, you know, or Ukraine or whatever. I just go to any parts of Brooklyn. And, you know, the city is constantly changing. So I can, might as well just save money. What's the point of spending all that money and time to visit places that you're not going to live in anyway because you are living in the best city in the world? That was my thinking at the time. All that privilege, all that childhood angst of being scared but i didn't you don't know what you don't know i didn't know at the time that i was scared of stepping out in a shelter that i didn't want to comprehend what was outside the cave but plato's allegory of the cave the more you step out the, the more you know the less you know i had to be dragged kicking and screaming by losing a bet into something that took me three weeks it wasn't like i arrived in egypt after the bet and i was like oh i love this it took me three weeks of, I hate this. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Who is this girl? And then she left like two days into the trip. So she, she was with her family. And she was I like, didn't I realize it was out. a stranger because uh, the bet was essentially that you couldn't find a cheap plane ticket to Egypt. And if you found like at, at a certain price level, then you had to buy it and go type of thing. It was a stranger. Right? It was a girl at a bar who didn't leave and, you know, stay, stuck around. We chatted. We kept talking. And one thing led to another. And next thing I knew, I was in Egypt uh, and I really, it was over a flight price. I was just joking. She was like, you should come, you should come, you know, flirty and whatnot. And I was like, no, I don't like traveling. And I kept finding excuses to say no without saying like, I don't like traveling. Not very cool thing to say because I didn't know, I couldn't verbalize. I didn't like traveling because how would I know if I didn't like something I did it. So I gave many excuses like it was too expensive. I don't have time. She knew you but- liked traveling before you knew you liked traveling. <laughs> if you go to my thank you and acknowledgments in my book, there are like at least three people's like, thank you for seeing that you that I love traveling before I even knew it. Uh, it's true. My my high school sweetheart, uh, who, you know, I think in the book as well, saw wrote a whole letter saying that you should embrace traveling. And that was when I was 16. I was 23 when I met this girl at the bar, lost a wager. And then and the wager was, I kept saying it was too expensive. And then I said, fine, I'll go with tickets under $700 because they were like 2000 at the time. I did check because, you know, I was fancying the idea. And then it dropped to 650 that night. It was, so I went because it was a good deal and I didn't want to flake. Um, I would rather be a man under my word and $650 poor than be someone that starts creating a habit of flaking on my, my bets with people. And or the things so that you went. tell yourself. Yeah. You tell yeah yourself and I didn't, yeah, didn't want to you know, dishonor the, the things I would say. I always yeah. follow through. If I say I'm going to hang out, I'm going to be there. Never want to be seen as someone that backs, backtracks. So here I was in Egypt, and it took me three weeks for me to like it. The first week, I hated it. We hung out for two days, and then she had to be with her family. She didn't expect me to actually show up. She's like, I got to hang out with my family. That's why we're here. Family trip. The second week, I was alone. After two weeks of being alone, I was like, uh, I still hate this because I'm like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But by the second week, I was like, oh, I, I, I'm still here. And it wasn't until three weeks when I was like, oh, I get it. 
because I spent three weeks without a cell phone, no data, no internet, wasn't connected to anyone. I didn't know anyone. Nobody knew me. I couldn't even understand the language on the billboards or TV or ads. So I could only talk to myself. I only have conversations with myself, really, and other locals who could speak English. But that didn't matter because I was finally spending three weeks by myself and coming back saying, you're still alive because now you know it's really you, all you and the kindness of strangers. And I think before that, I was scared of traveling because I was scared of myself I was, or didn't like myself. I didn't want to entertain the notion of being alone with myself because I didn't like who I was at the time. And it wasn't until three weeks of traveling where I was put in a position that forced me to come back and say, I can reckon with myself. You're not so bad. You're, you could be a good friend, talking to myself. And that's your steps to becoming a best friend with yourself. And that's, I think, what travel brings. But it's ironic because it took me three weeks to be drag kicking and screaming to now do something that everyone was like, oh, how do you do it? You love traveling. I was like, you should have seen me before Egypt. I hated traveling. And that's what makes me believe in this whole weird universe out there that has a grand plan for you. I like to think that, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. You needed that time to get to know yourself, really, on a certain level. Would you say that was the most transformative trip you've ever taken? To be totally alone, three weeks by yourself, without knowing anyone? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were many transformative inflection points, like Luke Skywalker, uh, his aunt and uncle dies, and then Luke Skywalker blows up the Death Star, and then Luke Skywalker finds out Darth Vader's his dad. You know, there were many inflection points. Spoiler alert! Oh, for those you haven't seen, (laughs) should put that alert behind. But you you know, there were many inflection points, and that was one of the big ones. My father dying, and this and that. I'm not comparing myself to Luke Skywalker. Spoiler alert. (laughs) One who find out when my dad, my dad's been alive the whole time, and he's Darth Vader. But it, it it's it's it was one of many inflection points, and it was very transformative 
I just find it so ironic that I'm leading trips for people who, for people, with people who don't need me, who love travel way before I did at their time. Like these are sometimes people younger than 23. I was 23 when I was like, had to be dragged three weeks into it. And there's all these people traveling saying, hey, I love to travel. I've always grown up loving traveling. I just don't know how to start. And I'm like, you don't need me. Like, I'm the worst. You're supposed to tell me how you got there. I'm trying to learn from you. How do you love traveling? It, I did it because I, I don't know. If I, I didn't meet that girl and lost a wager or whatever. Would I still love traveling? Only the universe knows. And that's why I believe in there's some irony that I'm leading these trips for people when I was the, supposed to be the last person to do something like that. Yeah. Or at least the last person according to you, right? According to me. <laughs> Universe according to me. <laughs> Can you think of some um, moments throughout your travels where even just one that you could share where you felt like some of these larger forces we're talking about were at play? Maybe maybe raising the hair on your body a little bit. Like, I, oh, I can't believe that just that just happened. That's insane. Serendipity or... I have so many. I have a whole... I have so many serendipities. It's a section of my blog where I have a gallery of people or situations where I write the little stories of serendipity and how I met them. Well, what's one that stands out to you just off the cuff? Uh, it's there. There has been enough trips where people would know someone that knows somebody else on that trip and they would never have met if it weren't for that trip, but they found they were connected in some way. Uh, I would... Okay, I can the the five years later story. I was in Hyderabad when I uh, was told to get off the train because there's a family. I, I was supposed to go to Goa from Mumbai uh, on the train, and the family I stayed was like, "You should check out Hyderabad." So I get off on a stop on their recommendation, saying, "I just met this family. They were staying with him, but they told me to get off here." Okay, I have time. I'll see Goa later. So I get off at Hyderabad, and then the moment I land, I like update that I'm in Hyderabad, and somebody was like, "Hey, you don't know me." But I'm, you know, in the area, you should uh, stay with me. So I go to where he stayed in, in the Indian school business on a whim. And I was supposed to be staying somewhere else with my other friend. But I never ended up staying with her and her family. I stayed with my other friend in ISP, well, this acquaintance. The next morning after we partied and had drinks, I woke up in the middle like of nowhere field in, in the campus. And I decided to take the bus back to the city to explore more of Hyder proper instead of staying on campus. And it was a girl on the bus named Nikita who was sitting next to me and she uh, looked over. She's like, you're not from around here. When I when there was a sign-in sheet, I was like, I don't know what to do. She's like, you're not from around here. I was like, no, I'm not. And then we started talking about 20 minutes. Then I borrowed her phone to call my friend to pick me up from the bus station. And then I said goodbye. And then me and my friend are having lunch. I was like, oh, who was that girl that you called from? I was like, oh, I don't know. And I actually was like, shoot, she was super cool. Oh my God. Like I should have gotten her didn't even think about it at the time. I was like, oh, no. And just the moment I thought that, the phone rings because of call ID. She, you know, you can call the person that you just called. Like, hey, I'm at work. Can I join you for lunch? There's nobody else uh, that's with me right now to have lunch with. So she actually ends up joining it. The moment I thought that, I was like, as if I manifested it. And we ended up hanging out until that night. And I was like, I have to go on to the next step. But that bus didn't exist, the bus I was supposed to go on. So I ended up staying an extra day with her. We walked and talked, very innocent. And then I finally said goodbye. And then the next morning, I woke up in a different city in Humpy, and I was depressed, so sad. Just like, oh, man, I wish I actually exchanged last names and phone numbers and emails, but I chose not to. It just 
want to get to know, know this person. And that was that. But then I was like, man, that was stupid. It was kind of like the ending of before sunrise and the beginning before sunset when they're like, man, we, we're so dumb. And I was like, I was that young 23 year old. That was so dumb. But I, in my en- ennui and melancholy, I blogged about it. And, you know, I blog every day. And she left a comment, but made it anonymous. But my friend who read my blog post was like, oh, man, like, you really liked her. Guess what? That comment, I think that was her. She actually blogged about you. So we found her blog and she wrote this cerebral, beautiful blog post about meeting this stranger in Hyderabad uh, that was like three paragraphs long. And I read it and I was at a time where I thought I was contemplating dropping out of medical school. This is, uh, or not, sorry, not even going to medical school. This is the summer before med school was supposed to start. And I was like, man, I, I actually went on this trip to just maybe hopefully something would happen to me where I wouldn't go. Maybe I'd die, get hit by a rickshaw or get struck by lightning, both of which happened to me that summer. And, and I was like, I was standing on the pagoda that I hit by lightning, but I saw white, everyone screamed and I, you know, it was bad, but recovered from that. And I was like still alive. And then she wrote this whole thing about me that triggered the trigger, this thing in my head. It's like, Oh my God, like number one, two things. I have to see this girl again. I don't know how. And number two, I should go to med school because someone believes in me more than I believe in myself. I didn't know how I was going to reach her because she didn't leave any contact information on her blog. I commented back. There was really no response. So I just kept traveling. And then during the next two, three weeks, because I was opened up, serendipities was happening left and right. Someone I would meet in one city, I would meet again five days later in a different city, in a different region. And there was like one point when I ran into like my first crush from college on the streets of, of Chennai, like two weeks later. And I was like, do you want to come on a you know, weekend trip with me. She's like, okay. And then we were like lost in train station, uh, bus station looking for the next bus. And I got really flustered. I was like, well, this is a bad look because I didn't plan this out. And then I pointed the only like foreigner I could see this, the only non South Asian looking person. And it was a guy that I met right after I made that blog post. This, this guy from Australia named Jamie. He's like, Calvin, what are you doing here? And it looked, I was like, thank God, because you must be going to the same place as like, I am actually, you know, in friends with the hostel person that runs it. So we ended up going to Mahabali Purim, stayed with Jamie and his friends. I'm like, wow, what is going on? And then the way back, it was supposed to be my last stop before going back to New York and start med school. I had to book a last minute flight. I didn't book many flights until the day of. And I found the cheapest one and I went, it was the from Chennai to Singapore to Shanghai to New York. And when we were going back to Chennai, I was like, what's your next move, Jamie? He's like, I'm actually heading out back to Australia. I was like, oh, me, like I'm leaving, I'm going home too. What are your flights? And he happened to be in the same flights as I was to Singapore. So we ended up flying together to Singapore. And as we parted in Singapore, he was like, just know one thing, sub Malega, which means that when you travel in India, you get everything, everything, the universe, everything. And I turned and I walked five more steps. And guess what I run into at customs? Nikita, the girl that wrote, <laughs> wrote the blog post. And she comes up to me and she's like, we can add a few more pages of the fairy tale. And I ended up uh, hanging out with her in Singapore because she happens to be a student at the business school in Singapore who was just visiting her family and spending a summer in Hyderabad. And I was like, what is going on? How did you end up in Singapore of all places? And it was on a whim. And it was Singapore National Day. So she had the day off. I had the day off. And the next morning when I flew back to Shanghai, I was just buzzed all over. I was like, this is too crazy. And then guess who was on my flight to Shanghai? <laughs> it was 
it was another person that I had like, you know, one of my favorite people that I interviewed for my undergrad, who, you know, I thought I was never going to see after that interview. She was, she recognized me. And then we were in the baggage claims and we talked a little bit and we split. And then when I finally had my first group trip, she signed up. So that's a long story. I know. No, no, no. I mean, it's and I left just, out a lot, a lot of romantic details, but it was just like, <laughs> what is going on? Well, yeah, you were in some kind of a flow thing that was, sounds like that feeling of like, hey, I'm just along for the ride on this journey. That's crazy. <laughs> it's, it is crazy. And I like to believe that you could choose the many different stories. I like to believe that there is something out there. I had just traveled some, and this is why we travel with people who has read my stories, had read my blog posts and knows them. And she said, well, it also be coming, it could be coming from within. And who's to say that's less profound than believing something external like the universe? Maybe the external universe is actually within you. And what you're doing and what people do when they travel is plant seeds wherever they go, the energy, the flow states. And what is happening with these serendipities isn't some profound from above and this goes back to our question that you asked like 10 minutes ago is it really external that you know people don't believe in well you don't have to believe in that maybe it's something that we don't have the receptors for from within our bodies i mean we're still doing so much research on you know this is the doctor hat on what or how our bodies work within it's something we've been living on we still don't know enough about it that serendipities is like this apple that comes out of the well with a hand <laughs> from this bottomless well we can't see under and it's like Apple, and that's the serendipity. It's coming from within. We don't know because we can't see the bottom of our own wells. So then we therefore think that it's something external, but it's rather the seeds that we've been planting all along subconsciously, especially we're in a flow state that we can only obtain when we're traveling. Yeah. I've, I've had experiences like that traveling, and it's it's the best. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It makes feeling. you believe in living. Yeah, and it, it may, gives meaning to Otherwise meaningless. It's the irony. You go travel and you're in the middle of a desert, in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, man, I'm insignificant. You look at the field of like thousands, billions of stars. And it's like, this is meaningless. Like every, all my trials and tribulations and worries, or even my joys and happiness, meaningless because travel makes you feel so small. But because we still feel like, wow, that's the best. That's meaning. And that's the irony to, to render meaning within meaninglessness is the meaningful part. That no matter how absurd and nihilistic that you can get, the fact that our human condition still wants to project some kind of beauty in this moment of meaninglessness is the most meaningful part of all. It's the literally f the fight against infinity and the fact that we still fight for it. I mean, that goes back to the pandemic. We didn't know how bad it was going to get, and yet we still fought, even though we knew that many of us could die. And the fight for it is what makes it meaningful. And in fact, if you think that everything is meaningless, so must be the belief that everything is meaningless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to your point, I think the the idea that oh, it, you know, if it comes from within, is it any less significant, right? Which is kind of the the idea you talked about. And I mean, it sounds like we're on the same page. It, it, no, like I'd say is the answer. So if we're not telling anybody how to believe on this podcast, but we're just, I think, both acknowledging that there's some kind of magic within these experiences that I, I think everybody's had on some level, whether traveling or some some other ways. You can attribute that to external forces. You can you could say, well, that's from within. Maybe you just take it for what it is and appreciate the magic in it and, and the meaning in it. Yeah, it's not a belief thing. It's more of an observation. 
Yeah. I feel X and wow, isn't it wonderful? And isn't it better just to enjoy the roller coaster ride than try to figure out what it all means? What is this roller? Are you on a roller coaster and you're enjoying, if you're enjoying the roller coaster, you're not wondering, well, I wonder what these roller coasters are. Is it a wooden roller coaster? Is it a steel one? Am I going up? Am I going down? How many curves are left? You're not thinking that. Just enjoy it. Trust the process. The, the tracks will lead you to where you need to go. Even if you need nowhere, it doesn't matter because the present is what's the most meaningful part. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about the last roller coaster I was on where actually it was a pretty violent turn and we were sitting in the back with my daughter and I was like, I don't, I, she's like, is this the last time around? I'm like, I, neither of us wanted to be on that roller coaster anymore. So maybe that's a bad analogy for no, that. But you remember that story. Coaster. Yeah, yeah. I do remember but that you, story. You do remember. That's the point. You want stories that you can remember so you look back with yeah. your daughter and be like, that was stupid. <laughs> I'm doing that again. <laughs> but you can laugh about it because the worst thing that can happen is a good story or a good roller coaster ride. Where should people travel? Give me some of your favorite destinations. It could be like entire countries or just like small little places that, you know, you've you've had special moments in for whatever reason. And it sounds like you've been, I have to correct myself because it's maybe over 200 countries and territories at this point. Over 200 now, yeah. And you count Antarctica, Greenland, because they don't, they don't count as UN countries, but you're going to go by that count. Because it took a lot of effort to get to Antarctica, I'm going to count it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to ask for your favorite destinations because that's just like not a, fa- not a fair question and it's BS. But, you know, some standout places. I mean, somebody has been to this many places. It'd be nice to hear some of the places that stood out for you that you would recommend to others. So in the last 12 years since I started traveling, it really depends on the kind of person you are and where you are in life and your travel experience. So I would say that if you're starting out and you are the type to dip your toes, then do somewhere local, wherever you are. But if you really want to jump in the deep end, lose the bets, I think the best place would be in the affordability wise in the convenience is Southeast Asia. And that was my actual first official trip as a travel blogger when I started it, where I started in Philippines and ended up in India with that story I just told you with Nikita. And I included South Asia in there because that is a more difficult region for people to travel with if they don't have much experience. That's kind of like graduation day. I don't recommend it for everyone because it's not for everyone, but that's the same way I would say New York City is not for everyone. But everyone should have, if you really want to embrace this travel lifestyle, is to at least try it, at least experience it at some point uh, before you make up your mind. Same way where I believe every 20 and 30 year old should visit New York at least once and maybe live there for a year just to see if you can handle the extremes of life. And the most, if you're a nature person, most beautiful places, if you can afford it, it would be Antarctica and Greenland. I found ways to make it very affordable. There are tricks, which I wrote on the blog, um, to get groups and whatnot at a much lower price. Uh, but also Namibia, Southwestern Africa is also one of my favorites. I just came back from the Faroe Islands yesterday after a week there. That is, that's Iceland on steroids. So obviously they, I don't want to be the person saying, yeah, go to Iceland. Everyone can go to Iceland. But if you went to Iceland and that's your cup of tea and you want to go to a different version of Iceland without the tourists, then that's the Faroe Islands. Same thing as going to the Gili Islands instead of Bali. It's Bali without the Australians, Australian tourists. Uh, and the, the most fun would be Cuba. The most magical will be New Zealand. 
the country that had the most serendipities and kept had things happening over and over would be the South Asia region. So India, Pakistan, uh, Nepal, Sri Lanka. And if you want, if you love trains, the Trans-Siberian, but right now can't do that for most people. Uh, but the Trans-Mongolian, going through Mongolia and China, ending up in Beijing to see the change is also worthwhile. The, and then my favorite uh, cities, you know, you haven't been to New York City, there's that. And there's Budapest, there's Tokyo, there's Kyoto. And, you know, I can go on and on. Um, the, if you want a more rugged challenge and you want to feel how big the world is, much bigger than it is, it's actually South America and Africa. Because on the map, it looks small. But when you're actually traveling those regions, Sub-Saharan Africa or the middle of South America, it's a lot bigger than what it feels like on the map. Love it. Awesome breakdown. Love the chat. Thanks so much for taking the time. I, I want you to remind people where they can find all the all the things you want to share, whatever you want here. Have at it. Sure. I mean, if, depending on when you're listening, I do have a book now coming out published by HarperCollins. Also serendipitous how that happened. I was just minding my own business and they reached out. Uh, a literary agent reached out and one thing led to another and I just went with the flow. And now it's coming out in less than a month on September 27th. It's called The Monsoon Diaries, named after my blog, Publisher's Choice. Uh, it's a memoir, and it does touch upon a lot of travel themes in there, but also in the context of real life back home. So it's not just a travel book. It talks about my life at home, how my the loss of my father, and how I dealt with COVID and how that all wraps around. So if you want a different kind of travel book, this is please get a copy, pre-order one, book purchase, and any of the major reseller uh, books booksellers out there. Uh, and you can also find me on social media. Monsoon Diaries, M-O-N-S-O-O-N-D-I-A-R-I-E-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I'm on all of them. Or just yeah. email me from my blog, monsoondiaries.com. Cool. We'll, of course, link to all that. How was the the book writing process for you? Was it cathartic in some ways, kind of sharing all this? Or was it, what, what, yeah, what did it do for you, writing the book? Writing is my therapy I've been doing it since I was six years old. So revisiting a lot of the things that I discussed in the memoir was a catharsis upon catharsis. It was therapy for the therapy. And I'm grateful because I had a writing process that was a little easier than someone who would be starting from scratch because a lot of it was already being written live. So I write and blog while I'm there on the trip, every day that I'm abroad or I'm a, uh, when I was traveling during a med student or resident, I would come up with a blog post that night. So people felt like they were there with me because they were. They were living vicariously, voyeuristically with me. I missed a train. It would be up on the blog. And it became a habit, that discipline that, my, that I'm grateful to my parents for instilling in me to always get a blog post the day of, unless I have no internet like Antarctica. And... That transited very seamlessly to when COVID started and I could no longer travel. I was like, the best way I can recharge through travel without being able to travel is to pretend that I think I'm traveling by blogging live what I was experiencing on the front lines as if it was a foreign country that I wasn't sure how to grapple with. Was it going to just blow over and 
it maybe seems dangerous and it was going to end in two to three weeks. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Or was it just going to keep going? It's like, well, this is never going to end. The latter happened. And I just kept blogging and blogging and blogging live on my social media. So when it came to writing the book, uh, when the literary agent approached me, cold ask on January, I was like, do you want to write a book? And I said, never thought about it, but sure. She was like, it's already mostly written because I've been following you through the whole pandemic and reading your blog, your travel blog and about your father's death. I had another blog about that a long time ago. You have to like really hunt for that one, but it's still up there. It was a matter of just putting it all together and stringing it. And then all I had to do was writing transition pieces. I had a friend and a writing coach to structure the order that would make sense for a narrative book. And uh, I am very grateful that it came together the way it did. Yeah. I mean, that's the practical side. But then, of course, there's the psychological side of revisiting all of this, I'm sure. that was Yeah, rereading things and having different attitudes, as we said, what I learned from COVID was events will never change. They happen in your life forever. But rather than seeing like, oh, no, what do I do? It's never going to leave. It's like a stain. It's like a scar. That's okay because your attitudes towards that very same event, that scar can change. And that's what defines a person. And you might actually find yourself loving it or being grateful for it. Now, I don't love COVID. I don't love the pandemic. I wish it never happened, but it's never going to go away. That's the fact. It's, it's, that's the universe, multiverse that we live in now. So might as well just see it as something rather than something to ignore and then eventually repress it and it'll come out uh, in later life in an uncontrolled, chaotic fashion. Rather, just to look at it and say, how do I, how can I succeed, re-examine my life with more clarity and purpose because of this pandemic and what I experienced through it? rather than in spite of it. Now you're in control of that chaos. Mm. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Calvin. It's uh, It's been great chatting with you today. I hope we can stay in touch. Best of luck yeah. with the book and everything. And come through Norway. Come through Oslo. Wait, you're in Oslo? Yeah. I just missed you. Oh, come on. We could have done this I did a layover there. Well, Faroe Islands is just a, two short flights from Oslo. Just two short flights. I know. And I was just there two months ago on the way to Svalbard. Listen, man, I got a bed here. Right over there. Maybe we had maybe we had breakfast at the same cafe. Maybe the serendipity we talked about at the beginning of the podcast actually already did happen. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, we'll do it. We'll, we'll find a way next time. You're globe trotting. Like three times the past two months. All right. We're gonna find a way. How long are you there for? I live here. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm here forever. <laughs> I know where to find you then. Right I have on. a bunch of friends in Oslo, so looking forward to that happenstance when we run each other there. Cool. Well, stay in touch and thanks for your time. Pleasure. There you have it. I want to say thanks once again to Dr. Calvin Sun. I hope you enjoyed listening in on our chat and I will leave all the links that you heard in the show notes, as well as these two links. I just discovered a couple nonprofit organizations that seem pretty cool. I haven't worked with them directly or anything like that, but I thought it was cool that they're both nonprofits and they're both designed to help us become better travelers. One was an introduction I got from my friend Lily, who went through a course that's the Rise Travel Institute. And their mission is to, quote, inspire responsible, impactful, sustainable, and ethical travel through education. Really cool. And the other one is Impact Travel Alliance. I found out from my friend Paige, who's been on a guest 
uh, on this show before, and she's actually going to be back for a future episode that, that we recorded. I'm really excited to release to you here in the coming weeks. Impact Travel Alliance is a global community and 501c3 nonprofit aimed at improving the world through travel. They educate and empower travelers with the knowledge they need to have a positive impact on local communities and our environment. So, end quote. And that's from their website. I just wanted to share those two organizations. And I think it's really cool to see that there are organizations out there working to educate us as travelers and to help make the future of travel the best it can be. We're not going to stop traveling, right? We want to see the world travel makes the world a better place. I think everybody listening to this show probably agrees with that sentiment. And so I thought I would just share a couple of resources that I just came across that I've signed up for to follow along and see what they have to offer, see what it's all about, and just be exposed to more ideas that can help me become a better traveler. Why not? So I thought I'd share them with you because this is a community. We're all about sharing resources, helping each other out, right? Of course, this is a community-powered show. And if you haven't gotten in touch yet, you can always feel free to do so. I like to remind people at the end, I did get a message recently from Surly. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. Just a few days ago, said, uh, Hey, Jason, just finished the latest episode. It was incredible. Three hours of an epic journey from someone walking around the world, starting in New Jersey. Great stuff. I've been listening to a bunch of your episodes, been thinking more about working abroad, the working abroad, excuse me, sort of life. But do you know how someone could work remotely without a college degree or maybe picking up work while traveling abroad? Either way, keep up the awesome show. Thanks, my man. Well, I mean, there's a lot to say about this. And I can't give you the snappy three-minute answer to all of your questions. I mean, if you dive into the archives on this show, you're going to find a lot about how you can pick up work abroad while you're traveling. Plenty of options from seasonal work, working on cruise ships and things like that. And we've done a ton of episodes on a lot of different things. I can't speak to who requires a college degree and who does not. But what I wanted to do to answer this question is to give you just one overarching philosophy And that is, I do believe that education is important, but education comes in a lot of forms, right? We just talked about two organizations that are helping us to educate ourselves, to become better travelers, more sustainable, maybe more mindful. But really, the idea of educating ourselves, whether it's through college or other ways. A specific example of this I might share with you, Surly, is... Again, I don't know if this is your interest, but you know, learning how to code, right? I mean, people that are programming, software developers, coding, not a world that I know. <laughs> so let that let that uh, let that be known if I say the wrong thing here. But there are plenty of places out there where you can learn to code. A lot of people learn things just from YouTube, and that's an in-demand skill. And if you reach a certain level of proficiency, I would imagine that there are plenty of organizations out there that would hire you despite the fact that you don't have a college degree. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't educate yourself, right? So the option to educate yourself and to acquire a skill, however you do it, doesn't have to be through college. Just acquire an in-demand skill through self-education or paid education in the case of university, depending on where you live, that's a path forward, right? So I definitely think that more than ever, it is possible to work remotely 
and abroad without a college degree, as long as you have the right skill set, and I think you're the type of person that is showing initiative, is willing to uh, always be learning, right, and listen, and be a team player, and all that stuff. Every organization has their own requirements, but you got to start somewhere, right? So I don't think the place to start is, uh, okay, well, I don't have an ed- education, or I don't have a, a college degree, so... I, I don't know if this is any of this is going to really work for me. There are definitely options out there, and how you go about picking the uh, say skill you want to learn or the career you want to have—that's a whole other question. I always encourage people to get involved in an industry that you'd be excited to be around. Right? Imagine having to go to a convention or an event in your industry, in blank industry. How would you answer that question? What industry do you want to work in? You could start there because there are service providers, there are programmers, there are a multitude of roles within every industry. So what industry do you want to be around? What do you like? For some people, it's not even important to like it. They just want to get involved with something that they know is a good way to make money. And it doesn't have to be based around their passion. So again, this comes down to the individual and what you think drives you to learn. And travel is a great motivator, right? If you are somebody who wants to build that work abroad or life abroad, you know, what can you do? And what are you willing to do? And maybe what are you willing to sacrifice? When I started out and I had all of my student debts and I just wanted to figure out a way to travel, I don't know if this was a a sacrifice, but my mindset was sort of like, hey, I'll pretty much do anything, (laughs) any job, as long as I'm getting paid to travel. It just so happened that I landed in the event marketing industry and found some fun jobs and and it turned out great. But, you know, at the time I was really willing to do almost anything as long as it allowed me to travel and I could get paid to, to travel and I could still pay my bills. So being open to a lot of opportunities, I think it's a is a good mindset to have. And at some point, you got to just pick something and roll with it and know that, well, it might not work out exactly the way you imagine, but along the journey, you'll probably learn a lot. You'll probably grow a lot. You'll meet some interesting people and it all leads somewhere, right? That's what I keep telling myself anyway. I hope all of this is leading somewhere. I have to believe that for myself and for all of us. So it seems to be that way. It seems to be that everything leads somewhere. But when you're not at the somewhere yet, it's hard to look back and connect those dots. As Calvin (laughs) mentioned in the interview, looking back and connecting the dots is something that's much easier to do later on. But in real time, not always easy to do. But what is easy is to identify your main goal, and that is to travel and figure out a way to just get something that gets you out there doing it. And no, you do not need a college degree to travel the world, to work remotely, uh, or to pick up work while traveling abroad. I think there are a lot of examples of that that you can model out there that you can find and use those as inspiration to do that for yourself. There you have it. That's my answer to that question. Of course, a huge deep topic and can't possibly give you the perfect answer, but there 
are some ideas in there for you that hopefully you can take and run with. So thanks for taking the time to write, Surly. If anybody else has any questions or they just want to get in touch, you can always please drop me a line. I love, love, love to hear from listeners. I love to hear your voice too. So leave me a voicemail if you can do that. I want to thank everybody who's done that recently. Now, I am going to leave you with a quote from Osho who said, life begins where fear ends. This is a great one to wrap up this show. Life begins where fear ends. Thank you so very much for listening this week and I'll see you next week. Have a great rest of your day, night, morning, wherever you are in the world. Peace out. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 